Hey, welcome. My name is Andrew Quinones, and we're here at the Positive Pomona Production Studio in downtown Pomona, our colony. I have two special guests with me in studio today. And actually, no, I have many special guests <laughs> in with me in studio today, but we'll be in particular uh, interviewing with two. So we'll go around the room. Uh, of course, again, my name is Andrew with the Southern California Service Corps. We have Senator Susan Rubio here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. And we have the Chief of Police, Mr. Mike Ellis. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for coming. We also have in the room, we have Mr. Uh, Josh and Chara Schwolde. And we got Renee Barbie. And we and in back, that's helping with audio and visual. We got Angel and we got... Uh, What's your name again? Nah, I'm just kidding. Mr. <laughs> Jeff. Mr. Jeff Shankel. He's the comedian back over here, so we like to play with him a little bit. So today is Friday, I think August 2nd, uh, 2023. And uh, we again, we have the great pleasure of, of interviewing with, with two good people within our community that are waking up every morning to make a difference within our, our lives on different levels. So first, you know, of course, ladies first. Mrs. What do you prefer to be called? Well, I've still been called a lot of things, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I can be honest, my greatest joy was being called Mrs. Rubio since I'm a, I was a teacher for nearly 20 years, but I'm State Senator Susan Rubio, currently serving the beautiful community of the 22nd Senate District. Okay, wonderful. So now for the audience, of course, you can look at me or you're welcome to look at the camera, but uh, give us a little bit of background. What brought you to this point today? Now, I heard I met you at least 10 years ago with yes. my mentor, Danny Oaxaca, and uh, again, you were a teacher. Uh, uh, within was it Baldwin Park or Monty's? Uh... I started in Baldwin Park and then I moved over to Monrovia Unified School District. So I was there for 17 years. So share with the, our community a little bit about yourself. You know, you born, raised, again, a teacher. What, what brought you to this? You know, Susan Rubio to the point of being a senator. How did you get here? Well, quite frankly, by accident, you know, we didn't set out or I didn't set out to be an elected official. I know that uh, just based on my upbringing and some of the challenges I faced uh, growing up as a child, I wanted to help in, in a much bigger way uh, by way of example. Most people don't know that I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Juarez, Mexico, which is across the border from El Paso, one of the most dangerous places in the world. A lot of uh, human trafficking, a lot of cartels, a lot of murders. And so I lived in Texas when I was a young girl. I started elementary in Texas. And at the age of four, I was deported back to Mexico. And so we struggled to, to get back to this country. And when we did, uh, again, we experienced a lot of discrimination. So that was sort of the beginning of my awakening to, to try and, and uh, figure out how to help people like myself, like my family that didn't have resources or support and experienced a lot of discrimination. So here I am many years later, a state senator trying to help in a much bigger way. Wow, what, quite a journey from, yeah. from what is Mexico <laughs> all the way to this beautiful California making decisions for for our community yes. in good ways. That's that's great. Uh, my family also, our, our family origin also comes from Chihuahua, from Juarez, to oh, Texas, wow. to Denver, and then to California. So I'm sure a lot of Mexican-Americans you know, have, have, have taken that, <laughs> that journey just like you yes. uh, up until this point. Chief Ellis, all right. Uh, share with us a little, little bit about yourself and, and how did you come to, to be the how chief of police? Yes. Okay, so I started working for the city of Pomona as a police officer. It was 1998. So I've been here my, my whole career and just uh, moved up the ranks to chief in 2020. So, you know, I'm, I don't have the story you do. I, I was born in the Valley. <laughs> uh, my dad was in aerospace and, you know, working in aerospace, you'd travel around. So I lived in Southern California all my life, just different cities and high school locally in Ranch Cucamonga. Oh, okay. So from and, that and area. I'm going to guess that was when Ranch Cucamonga was... <laughs> 
a lot different than a lot different than it is today. There was no 210 freeway going through and all that. Yeah, it was a lot different. When I was a little boy, my best friends moved away and they moved to Rancho Cucamonga. Like uh, this is a sixth grade to seventh grade transition. And it was the first time I ever heard that word, and I just were thinking it was so far away. You know, yeah. it, just, it just just sounds far, right? Right. Yeah, well. And so, so 1998, that's when you became police officer here in Pomona, huh? Right. All right, that was 21 years old at that time. So that, that mm. yeah. Was, yeah. I'm just glad I didn't run into you back then. then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I have some things to pass around. Just a little larger. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. A little larger. So... As, we, as we're here today, uh, we're going to really explore some of the things that are going on within our community in regards to the, you know, through the lens of, of, of diversity and inclusion and, and, and hate and racism and, and some of the things that I think are affecting a lot of us throughout the world. And so, again, we're going to just have a little dialogue on, on the state of our community today and, and, and how do we see it uh, for the most part. Now... We were inspired to come here today. Uh, we brought, we're brought here through Renee and through Jeff and the, the article in La Nueva Voz, kind of exploring. Again, is this the article title, Jeff? Stop the Hate, Survey Analysis? No, that's not the title of the article. All right. So just a quick little plug for all you guys out there in Pomona that are listening to our podcast. This is a great way to catch up on community news is, is by checking out La Nueva Voz and everything that's going on over here. So again, as I open up this page right here, we have our community writer in the house, Mr. Josh Wodek in the house. And we were, and he's been writing articles in regards to Stop the Hate, a follow-up on La Nueva Voz's feature to take a closer look, combating hate by looking for more ways to sow love. All right. So, but before we get into this, we're going to take a quick little break, uh, station break, and we'll be right back. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Mona Promise Network podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Quinones, and today's sponsor is our special guest, La Nueva Voz, Pomona's only community newspaper. If you'd like to learn more about La Nueva Voz or perhaps read one of their articles, you can always visit them at www.lanuevavoz.net. Once again, www.lanuevavoz.net. Okay, so th- welcome back. Again, my name is Andrew Quinones, and we have uh, several special guests within our studio today, including Senator Susan Rubio and uh, Chief Mike Ellis. And again, today we're exploring, just having a conversation about the state of affairs in the world we are today. Now, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Uh, I'm 46 year old now. And when I was reading this, this story and I, when I was going through the survey, uh, I probably would have answered the questions a lot differently when I was in my 20s than today. I think my good fortune is that I hang around with a lot of good people, I'm a, a part of Compassionate Pomona, and, and again, I've been running nonprofit work for many years, so it's kind of like people in the church, you know, you're, you're, you're in a sounding room. So for me personally, I haven't experienced any kind of like hate or, or any kind of conflict in, in that regard for, for quite some time now. Uh, when I was younger, <laughs> I had a very different feeling for police than I do to have today. 
I'm proud to say that, you know, after National Night Out, uh, that this is past Tuesday, uh, I shook a lot of friends, uh, friends' hands that are in uniform. So it, it was quite a, a turn for me as I, I've grown up. I, I, I would say that I have a lot of friends uh, within service, within public service and within the police department. So, again, my personal life, and unless I turn on the news uh, and, and really tune into the world, I, I, I hear a lot of like conflict all throughout the world. And, and it, it, it breaks my heart. It, it bothers me. Sometimes I get caught up in, in, the, in the, the drama, let's just say, uh, that, that really divides us. But every day when I wake up in my community and I see people like, like, like Josh and Chara and Renee and, and, and the chief, um, I usually run into good people uh, throughout the community that are trying to make a difference. However, not all of us are fortunate as, as myself or maybe you guys that are experienced uh, th you know, this in life of, of a harmony within the community. I know there are still a lot of people out there that are, are struggling with different feelings of, of anger and hate and, and loss and, and things of that nature. And so, again, that's what brings us here today is, is trying to kind of, you know, looking at the problem and hopefully coming up with solutions for the future. Right. And particularly because I know a few of us in this room have small children. You work with children for many years. And I think uh, all of us, and I believe you have children as well, uh, all of us would like our children, our grandchildren, to grow up in a, in a, in a safer, kinder world. However, uh, I think that's going to take a lot of work, right? So uh, I'm going to step out camera for just a minute because I'm going to have Mr. Josh Schwodek that wrote this wonderful article that really uh, kind of uh, put, a, put a magnifying glass onto you know, the state affairs that we're experiencing within this community. So... I'm going to step off and Mr. Josh, come on in and talk about your article and, yeah. and how this affects our community. Yeah. No, I'm good. I finally balanced myself out. How y'all doing? Hello, sir. We're doing great. <laughs> good, good, good. Happy to be here with you. Awesome. I'm a behind the scenes guy, so yeah. Uh, but we'll get through this. It's all good. Um, you know, as one of the things that I was looking at as we were looking at the the data, obviously, it came across that there, you know, there are definitely people who have feelings that they've been, you know, something's happened to them or somebody they know, all those types of things. And I think it's all things we kind of already knew existed. Um, one of the things that I've been struggling with, and I put it in this last article, was this idea from, you know, when we're creating policy um, and sort of mandating, like we talk about stopping the hate. So what would that look like from a policy perspective? Because we can't. We can't necessarily force people to love each other yeah. or, you know, even be kind, but we can say, hey, don't be mean, don't do this, don't hurt, you know, um, and creating sort of policy that mandates tolerance, I guess. Um, but then the other side of that is, you know, in our personal lives, being able to move forward in compassion, things like that. So, and what little I've, I've uh, been able to interact with both of you, you're both very compassionate, empathetic people. Yeah in a personal life, but then when we talk about policy, we talk about the organization, we talk about uh, what we're writing with bills, um, how do we deal with hate from that perspective? Because it really is not, it really is not dealing with compassion or love, it's dealing with sort of like creating boundaries of like, this is what like good humanity should look like. So anyways, I'd love to hear your Less thoughts tangible. on, yeah, that. Um, yeah, well, well, thank you. Um, I, I, well. Sometimes I have to say this, policy cannot solve all problems, but in many ways I think it's not 
the policy, but the policymakers. Mm -hmm. And I say this because as a teacher for so many years, I remember we always teach our kids respect, kind words, don't put people down. In fact, there was a sign in my room that says no put downs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we are constantly teaching them that our words matter, uh, not to say certain things, to offend people. And what I find very distressing these days is that we have many leaders that will use words that I, I'm mortified, you know, when our students are listening to that. Um, by way of example, uh, just yesterday I heard um, one of our national leaders said, I think he said he was ready to slit someone's throat. Mm -hmm. And even as, you know, maybe not literal, but those words are so harsh and, and that's what our kids are listening to. And, and they may interpret that to mean literal, let's go, you know, mm -hmm. harm someone. And so I think, uh, you know, putting the policy aside, I think it starts with behavior. Uh, if we want to make sure that our community understands that, that we care about them, that we understand what they're feeling. You know, there's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of people that are so distressed over housing insecurity, food insecurity. And, and you know, our job is to feel, uh, to, to help them and give them comfort and let them know that we're here to help. But when they're watching the fights at a national le level, at our state level, and, and I... I don't want to say we, but collectively, you know, uh, we have not done a good job of uh, bringing down a little bit of the rhetoric that shows our community that we're going to start with ourselves and then ask them to be kind and compassionate. I think it starts with us. And and so, again, I know we want to talk about policy, but I think policy will not help unless we work on ourselves and making sure that the message we're sending to people is that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what political side you're from, like we care about people, we care about humanity, we care about you, and we're gonna be here to help you. So I'll turn it over to the chief, no, but I, I would like that. to see people really monitor their words, monitor their behavior, so that we can teach our children what it looks like. We cannot preach if we're not doing it ourselves. That's awesome, thank you. And I feel um, the police department's role is very specific. Um, because we do have to have good policy. I, everything you said is correct, but um, capturing incidents in the community and classifying them as a hate crime with, you know, we have 300 employees. Are they able to recognize that? Do we have policies in place that um, identify these crimes? And uh, we, do, we do have a 10-page policy. It's available on our website if anybody would like to, to look at it. Um, but. Our policy is there. I think it's a good policy. We have a checklist for the officers to when they experience these uh, incidents to go through. But in seeing some of the responses to this analysis, this survey, I see a lot of um, people that think it's underreported. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of people that are expressing that they don't want to talk to the police, even if they are a victim. I saw some people responding that way. Um, so I think it's our, our job to make sure that we're doing the outreach and we have I mean, I do know we have ways to report crimes online. Uh, we'll send an officer out. Uh, we'll even take reports over the phone if we have to, but there are ways to report it. It's just getting people more comfortable and aware of the resources we have with regards to hate crimes. I pulled some information from the last two years related to hate crime reporting. <clears throat> so in the last 12 months, we've documented three hate crimes. Mm. And in the 12 months prior to that, three. So in the last 24 months, it's been six hate crimes in the city of Pomona. Um, so, I mean, that that is a low number no matter what type of crime you're talking about. So it, feel, it seems to me underreporting, as described in the survey, mm -hmm. is probably here. So 
Um, if you go through our policy, it talks about having a coordinator. We do we we uh, do a lot of outreach in the community with our area commanders, and we attend uh, community pull-up events, different things that are going on, trying to have people be comfortable with police officers instead of just having, you know, enforcement type encounters so that if they are a victim of a crime, they're more comfortable coming to us. But I think that that's our role is to improve in that area, especially after seeing what came from the survey. Yeah. Yeah. May I share a yeah, little absolutely. bit on that note? And, and I know it's underreported, you know, being an immigrant Spanish speaking initially, uh, my parents as well, and they didn't speak the language. Um, and, you know, we experience a lot of discrimination and it's not necessarily that, um, you don't want to report is the language barrier sometimes. And we do have a lot of Spanish speakers here in Pomona. And so uh, I think sometimes uh, we forget that. And when I do focus on policy, uh, I do a lot of talks in different schools and communities. And I always try to focus on that group of people that might not want to come forward. Um, I've been very vocal about being a victim's advocate. I spent my last four years passing policy to protect children, um, victims of domestic violence, families that experience crime and hate. But the other element is making those victims feel confident that th if they come forward, we're going to do something about it. And and so I always try to be mindful that I have to meet people where they're at. And the policy is one side. Like I said, I always have a two-pronged approach. I need to focus on the policy. But once I pass the policy, I need to educate the community this is here for you. Um, you know, I do a lot of, like I said, policy on domestic violence, and there's so many unreported crimes, and I get victims calling me directly because they don't want to go to the police, and I try to, to educate and say, even if you are undocumented, you speak Spanish, you will still get the support you need. And so I try to make sure that we do it in a sensitive way that's, um, you know, sensitive to their culture, and it's no one's fault. It's just the, the world we live in, and, and thank you to the chief. I know we've had conversations on on crime and victims, and I do what I can, but uh, but I also do, in my personal opinion, um, a lot to hold, you know, criminals accountable because I think that's the other element. As a school teacher, I always know that if I let some of my students get away with things, then I can never redirect their behavior. And so I also think as adults, when we let people get away with things, then it's hard to redirect that behavior. So. Um, also holding people accountable is another piece to trying to see what we can do to curve some of that hate and uh, and activity that's not conducive to a compassionate community. Absolutely. I, add, um, I don't know if you can hear me. Shall I project my voice? Yeah. <laughs> um, each time you've spoken, um, I keep thinking trust, the word trust, and as we were taking the survey, a lot of it was, you know, QR code. Um, several was a QR code. Some I got to see people actually in person. Um, and when it came to being able to trust a policymaker, you know, knowing that, okay, here's this one thing that's going to happen, and are they going to be held accountable to this, this, and this? And over and over again, if um, you report something the one time, and nothing happens, or the the justice that you see should be should should come, and and there's no justice, or there's no, um, or there's no show up. You know, uh, several people. You know, um, unfortunately, because you are in the uniform, that's what we get to see, right? right. Um, and so trust is such a huge part of it. I mean, we've talked about tolerance, 
and how difficult of a word that is for me or even you and I have had this conversation. But tolerating someone is very, it's weird. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, I just tolerate them. Yeah, like I tolerate. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm, well, it's okay. I'll tolerate you. You know, it's like, well, how do we get past that? Because tolerate is not where we need to be. We need to, there needs to be an acceptance, an understanding, a celebration of a culture, a, you know, understanding your story and knowing where you come from. And then that's where the compassion comes from, mm-hmm. right? That's so in these stories, and, and, and mind you, I'm, I know I spoke about it before the cameras were on, but the questions in the survey are very one like, oh, here it is, this is racism, or this right. is racist, which there's so many nuances to that question and the experiences that individuals have within the community. Um, but I think it still all comes back down to trust. trust. We have to be able to trust each other and trust the leaders that you put in the office, trust the people that you know are wearing the, wearing the uniform and being able to protect and, and serve. And, you know? um, so I just wanted to add that because I kept just screaming in my head, trust, 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 and maybe that can help move this dialogue forward as well as we continue to create programming or, um, or finishing out more dialogue on the, on the, di- the uh, conversation on stopping the hate. Thank you for adding your voice to that. And uh, there is a trust factor, uh, but I think in many ways I have to, I know I see everything from an umbrella view. I see Mm -hmm. all the cities, I see all the communities, I see all our police officers. And and what I find too that's not helpful and it's really not helping our community heal and, and have safe communities is also I see the other side where sometimes our police officers are not treated as respectfully as they sh- should. And I always try to advocate for uh, both ways, right? We need respect, but we have mm-hmm. to also respect th- those in uniform because, yeah. for example, I come from, um, I also represent Omani, and recently we had two young men shot in the head, uh, mm-hmm. two young police officers, Latino immigrants who who served the community, grew up in the community, and left small children behind. And, and I know we tend to see the police as the other, but they're just one of us. You know, they're people trying to do what's right in our community. They're trying to take care of us. And and so I try really hard to humanize them because there's people on both sides and they also have families. And, and I my heart breaks because when these young individuals uh, were shot uh, last year uh, by someone that was committing uh, domestic violence, you know, there's a human there, and then I, got, I experienced a mother crying over her, her her son. He was 32, I believe. And now her grandchildren are going to grow up without a father. But, you know, those officers in uniform are also human beings, and they also are from our community. They're also, you know, people that care, and they have to go home to their families. So, so in many ways, that trust factor is critically important, but I hope that we have that trust. You know, it's a two-way street, not just yeah. one way. Everyone has to be on the same page so that we can live in harmony and work well together with our public safety officers to make sure that our communities are safe. But but thank you for that word. Trust is what I'm going to have in my head now moving so forward. Good. No, it's so good. I was just thinking, um, you know, I grew up in Miami. Uh, born here in Whittier, but, um, but grew up in Miami. And um, a lot of same challenges with the neighborhood. We didn't have a lot of, like, love and respect for our PD, things like that. Um, but later on, my dad, uh, his best friend, became, uh, he was the chief of police of Miami, Calvin Ross, uh, who happens to be 
um, Justice uh, Brown Jackson's uncle. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up around her as well, which is a whole other story. Um, but it was something he be, he was my Sunday school teacher, all these things, and and I always credit him as shifting that for me mm-hmm. of like creating the the, the humanity um, within the position and seeing his his heart. Uh, at that time, Miami was going through a lot, a lot of major issues. Well, it still is, but um, that was coming out of uh, Liberty City riots, all the other things. And so seeing his heart and his compassion on a day-to-day basis and, and how he would go in and, and do everything he could to, like, shift the culture within the organization as well, um, that that weighed heavy on me of, like, the possibility of. So when I saw things that necessarily weren't great, I knew the possibility of what it could be. Uh, which is why we have such great relationships with so many of our officers. Um, it's also why one of the reasons I remember, uh, I don't even, years ago, um, Chara had started the for 9-11, uh, one of the our local schools, Lincoln Elementary, um, bringing uh, officers out to meet the kids. And it wasn't, so it wasn't enforcement, it wasn't anything negative, they weren't there to talk about truancy. Or <laughs> um, it was literally there to high-five and build those relationships. But it didn't It didn't uh, stop there. It ended with like, it was most of our traffic officers. And so if they pulled a family over and they saw they had their Lincoln shirt on, they'd begin conversations. They begin to actually get to know the families within the community. And so that shifted a whole like um, culture there within that area. And so I, it's, yes, we have to have the policy and that's that's why we brought it up. But also hundred percent, it's it's what we do on our personal side that you know makes the, all the difference because policy without compassionate people helping lead lead that um, really is just ends up just being a mess and doesn't really do anybody any good. But um, I know we're and on that note, closing we'll take on a time. Short break. And appreciate y'all. Take a short break and be right back. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Pomona's Promise Network Podcast. Today's episode was brought to you with the support of the Southern California Service Corps at the Positive Pomona Production Studio in downtown Pomona. Okay, welcome back to the Positive Pomona Production Studio in downtown Pomona. My name is Andrew Quinones, and you're tuned in to the uh, Pomona Promise Network Podcast. Again, in studio, we have our, our special guest, uh, Senator Susan Rubio and Chief Mike Ellis, of course, with Josh and Charles Swodek and our, our friends from La Nueva Voz. Uh, now, as we bring this this uh, podcast session to a close, I really want to kind of envision the future. Now, the state of the world that we're in today, you know, of course, we turn on the TV and it seems to be a big mess. You know, there's a trust factor. Many uh, Americans feel very divided. But however, I think as most of us as our parents in the room and we have raised our children and we work with children, I think we can all agree that we want our children, our American children, to grow up in a, in a country where they feel proud of, where they feel they could trust uh, their neighbor to their elected official or their chief of police. So again, as, as we kind of bring it to the close and we look towards the future, uh, what are your thoughts or your opinions on, on how we can get to a point where we trust each other? And we're not so divided, I think, as, as, as a nation. I always go first, so I'll let the All chief right. go first okay. today. <laughs> so as the police chief, you know, I'm responsible for keeping the city safe. Um, that's only done with um, the permission of our people. And so the legitimacy of the police department is something I'm always concerned with. 
um, making sure that we hold ourselves accountable, that we're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Um, I'm hoping that that comes across to our community and that, like you said, trust is a big factor and that the mistrust in the past or the, the issues from the past, that that goes away over time. And I think that that is also, there's two sides to that. We have to be there to provide opportunities for people to interact with us and engage with us. But I think the community also needs to take um, some time and interact with us in the, when those opportunities arise. So my hope is that there's more uh, engagement in the community. Uh, our outreach, we, we're, we're always trying to improve. Uh, we're continuously trying to improve the police department. And community outreach is, is one of our uh, top priorities. So I just ask that people follow us on social media and uh, they see the opportunities come out, say hi to me, say hi to the officers and start to build some of that trust in the community. And I think that's gonna directly impact um, hate crime reporting and our ability to, um, to hold people accountable that are committing these types of crimes. We, we need people to come forward with, with that, those issues. Right. Uh, I'm going to do a quick little plug for Compassionate Pomona. Uh, yesterday we were in a, we were in a meeting uh, and Officer Angela Torres, she's a part of that meeting that, that, that of Compassionate Pomona as a representative of the PD. And I believe she's going to be writing an article next month for La Nueva Voz, in particular uh, through the lens of a police officer of what they have to go through. Say, for instance, a lot of people don't understand that maybe there was a car accident and they just saw a little child mangled and then all of a sudden they got a, the next call that they got to go to. And what happened just before is still on their mind. So the next call may not get their best, let's just say, for instance. And so just hearing uh, a police officer talk about the struggles that they go through, uh, sometimes being understaffed or working extra long hours or, or just seeing some tragic things, it made me feel very compassionate. And I, and I saw the police in a different way. So my next encounter, perhaps with a cop, I haven't been pulled over uh, or anything like that for many years. I've been a good good boy. I will always, I guess, keep her words in my mind that I never know where the police officer or the fire uh, department person, where they were at just before they met with me. So to be a little more patient with them, you know, uh, uh, and what they're going through. I agree. I mean, like I said, we have almost 300 employees. Um, there's 300 humans. They're all great people. I, I would put our police department against any other as far as the quality of people. Um, but people do have bad days, and um, but they are they are also professionals and, right. and they have a job to do. Uh, one of the things, it's a side note here, but um, a couple of years ago we started a comprehensive uh, wellness program within the department. Yes, everything from uh, a dog that walks around and um, helps officers adult with uh, critical incidents to a comprehensive mental health program, uh, just many different things we have going on. I th I've seen a good impact from that in, just in the last couple of years. So hopefully that officer that's coming out yes. on your worst day, you're calling 911, they're, you know, having uh, benefited from that program as well. And, right. But I, I have no doubt they will be professional. That's, that's our goal. Yes, that's right. And yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate the, the wellness in particular because, again, as Angela Torres, the officer, is saying that, this is not the same police department it was 20 years ago. There is more attention to personal care. And I, I certainly hope I could encourage the police department to uh, 
take the sky breathing training because it's wonderful. You know? I've been through that. Yeah, yes, that's you have. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, I teach my little children, and 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 we're teaching children in school. So because when you learn to control your emotions, especially at a young age, then we become more well managed adults, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So what are your thoughts towards the future? Well, I want to talk about the future, okay. but I want to piggyback on what All you right. said. Uh, you know, you discussed a bad day possibly at police officer, but you know. And I want to reiterate this because I want communities to understand, again, the humanity on the police side. Yes. You know, Elmani, that lost those two young men that I just talked to you about, um, a few months later, they lost their chief of police to to cancer. So they were dealing with three of their colleagues who passed away. And so it took them a little while, I think, as not just police department, as a community to heal because they had lost three extraordinary men. And and so it's having that... um, Patience and understanding, you know, sometimes everyone goes through bad moments. And I know for that police department, it was very difficult mm-hmm. for me as well as their leader and, and others. So just a little bit more patient and also understanding the humanity on the other side. But, yes. you know, it's very personal to me because I, I, I really sat down and spoke to the families. And so I, I do get to experience the other side. Yeah. And I wanted to share, I think, as Andrew mentioned, you know, I grew up with a lot of gangs and, and violence. My family's members were gang members and um, you know many were incarcerated so we did grow up with such fear of police Um, we would not come near police I didn't want to talk to police but now on the other side I do my own part to encourage community members to to come out this week and I wanted to reiterate what that is a lot of times the community members they don't know what national night out is and these are community events that our police department puts together to encourage that collaboration communication uh, for the community to come together with the police and get to know them on a personal level uh, this week I attended eight cities eight, eight cities? police wow. departments and that's hard for me but eight I managed to do eight well I did five in one night Ooh, and man. two three um, yesterday wow. and so because I need to teach our community that it's okay to show up it's okay to participate and I think I said it early on when I started it's we have to take our own responsibility and teach others how it's done and so I and I posted all over my social media because I want to encourage people to see that that, that we're all friends we're collaborators you know we communicate we're on the same page we're in and, this together huh? and we're in this together and so I do that because I want to encourage my immigrant Hispanic uh, Spanish-speaking community to see that that it's okay we just need to give them an opportunity to get to know each other but so that's a plug for our national night out next yeah. year <laughs> they're right. coming every year first, first week of Tuesday. August yeah. every Tuesday uh, first week of uh, August so please come yeah. out and participate they're here to, to support you and you see the children playing on bouncy houses and that's right. uh, the community gets to dunk a couple of our chiefs police and it's very interactive and they do it for that reason for for people (laughs) to come out right and so I wanted to now talk about a little bit of my approach to solving problems because it's not easy there's so many people in distress and then we talk about hate and I always like to go back inside to that person what happens a lot of times we see a lot of their their stress their anxiety there's you know um, financial issues reflected on how Mm. they behave you know Mm -hmm. a lot of our community members are dealing with housing insecurity food insecurity so my approach to trying to make sure that they feel comforted and loved and supported is by providing solutions and so I wanted to share in the last four years that I've been a senator uh, seven months here in this community but I've been a senator going on on five is you know tackling those issues that are very pressing and urgent for families Uh, as a teacher I think I was in the 
front lines of every social, emotional, and economic problem every family was facing. In particular, I'll give you an example. Uh, a family would come to me and say, Ms. Rubio, uh, we've been sleeping in a car for a month because we got thrown out. And and so that impacts yeah. me very personally, and I think that's what pushed me to, to run for for Senate even more. Um, so as I started being a senator, I, I, you know, I devised a little plan for myself, you know, first, you know, let's identify the problems. Number two, let's devise a plan. How do we solve that problem? And then you implement the problem. And as a teacher, a good teacher would tell you, then you analyze the data. Did your solution work? Did it not work? And then you, you know, redo it again and see, we can come to solutions. So in the past four years, I've, uh, I know housing right. is one of the biggest issues right. facing our community. And some of the issues that our police uh, department faces is based on those sleeping in streets and cars. And, you know, they have to figure out how to survive on the street. So yeah. I created one of the biggest housing trusts in the entire city mm -hmm. of California. And I'm very proud to say uh, we've built, uh, we're, we're nearing 1,000 affordable housing units for our families that are in need. Uh, I've housed almost 150 families that were on the street, homeless individuals. We took them right out of the street. Uh, we're feeding them three times a day. We're getting them mental health services, wraparound services, and even uh, we're providing a learning center for, for students, for those families that have young kids. Yeah. And happy to report as of today, we've actually transitioned 47 families that were homeless into permanent housing. Wonderful. Um, under my tenure, we also have universal meals in schools, which was a challenge. Not everyone can afford meals in school, and it would depend on your social economic status. Now everyone gets fed. And so as we're solving these little problems in our communities, um, you see people changing once they feel they have a place to sleep, yes. you know, they have a meal to eat. Um, they're, they're getting taken care of. And I think that also changes behavior. If they feel safe, right. supported, and loved in their community, then they're going to put out love and yeah. not hate. And so I'm glad we're doing this. It's like the Laszlo's hierarchy, uh, the pyramid, right? You take <laughs> yes. care of some of these immediate needs yes. and they're more than likely to. So to. we continue to take care of them because I think we could all say, you know, hate, 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 but let's tackle those underneath yeah. issues that are causing mm -hmm. people to yeah. lash out in a, unhealthy way so I hope that you know we continue to you know make baby steps towards creating healthy safe communities so then people feel more confident and and put out love instead of hate right. now do you guys agree with this quote hurt people hurt people <laughs> well I I've seen it a little bit so yeah. so yes, right. yes yeah I think I've seen it too yeah yeah hurt <laughs> people hurt people yeah. you know so yeah. I, I think a, a good goal for all of us especially as parents you know what I mean how do we raise children how do we take care of a community and in particular, those who are hurt to get beyond the hurt so they could be well acclimated, I guess, adults, right? Well, on that note, can I share a bill that kind of speaks to that a little bit? <laughs> okay. um, this year, I have a bill that um, is going to allow those, uh, our youth, you know, um, I have a bill that allows children who were raised in the foster care system that were, were experiencing harm. They were experiencing, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, violence. And it got to a point where they, they couldn't take it anymore, so they murdered their abuser. Um, and I have a gentleman who spent 25 years in jail. Uh, he went into the foster system when he was, I think, 17 months. Yeah, yeah. And it was nothing but ugliness from oh physical gosh, abuse right. to hunger to everything ugly that you don't want our children to experience. Yeah. And at the age of 13, he murdered 
an abuser and ended up being in jail. So I have a bill that's going to allow at least minors who have committed a heinous crime based on their circumstance to not only get help, heal, but not go into the prison system where they don't have a chance to come out. And uh, so, again, hurt people hurt people. That child never stood a chance based on everything he experienced. So, of course, he turned around and hurt that individual. And he had, you know, I'm sorry to say, but I could put myself in that position. He didn't have a choice. Right. So we want to heal people. Yeah, you know, I I did gang intervention work for many years uh, here in in this region. And and one of the things that I've come to to realize is that, um, again, the the hurt people hurt people scenario. Um, In particular, again, with with a lot of the people that I work with coming out of foster care or or, uh, the home group homes that are up in camp, and and it's just again it's really sad. I you know I think I heard yesterday on the meeting that there's three thousand foster care just within yeah. this area, and it, again the people that are going to jail, or the people that are uh, human traffic on the streets and, and doing the sex work, I mean a large portion come out of that 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 system, yes. you know. And and so, but that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> yeah. a, a yeah. big uh, <laughs> a, a big big topic to look at. So. Uh, in coming to a close, I just again, I just really want to appreciate, uh, express my appreciation for everyone coming in and, and, and sharing a uh, conversation about how we as, as community members can make a better difference and maybe address the issues of hate and, and, and discrimination uh, through coming together and having dialogue, right? And again, on the last note, you guys are welcome to look at the camera and, and, and do any kind of plug <laughs> on how to reach uh, your office or to connect with you or how to reach with your office or, or uh, maybe uh, encouraging people to be more civically engaged so that we can tackle this problem uh, together as a community. So. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to start by saying just thank you for allowing me to say a few words here. Here's a camera. And uh, you can go to SusanRubio.com. Um, you know, I really want to just be there to support the community. Students in particular, that's still where my heart is. I always encourage our students to participate be civically engaged. I taught government for many years as well. And uh, on this note, on National Night Out Week, I have the chief here who I want to thank for not only your service, but all of your officers. We need to make sure that we are thanking our officers publicly. Say thank you when you see them. I know that we tend to run the other direction, but they're here to support us. They're here to take care of us. And we're here to take care of our community and know that there's a lot of people uh, taking care of, of you. So please reach out to us, your city leaders. They're all there's a lot of programs and a lot of support you just have to want to come out and find them and so we're here to support you thank you chief yeah uh, this one (laughs) (laughs) so if you need to contact me you can call my office directly 909-620-2141 like i said before our our big goal is community outreach especially with this hate crime issue i would encourage you to follow the city's social media as well as the police departments. There's plenty of opportunities every month uh, to get together. And I would also uh, just encourage you to make sure if you know someone who is a victim of a hate crime or any other type of crime, make sure they're calling us and reporting it. And I think that will help go a long way with this issue. May I share one thing that I forgot? And this is important because there's a lot of funding in the state for hate crime and support. By way of example, uh, I was able to secure, along with a couple of my colleagues, $50 million for support to our synagogues. And um, when API Hate started 
arising cell churches, institutions where, you know, they don't feel safe, there is funding. Uh, you just have to go on the state website and make sure that you're looking out for these grants. They're there to support you. They're there to help with security. So thank you for, for just this opportunity to, to say a few words. All right. And if you're interested in uh, checking out the survey and like to add, again, we've had about 100 people yeah. participate, but we, you know, there's 150,000 people in Pomona. So yeah. we definitely want to encourage you guys to uh, share your opinions. And uh, it could be reached at bit.ly uh, backslash stop the hate Pomona. And so, again, a community wide survey. And again, we encourage you to stay uh, connected to our, uh, our larger community through reading La Nueva Voz or tuning into our podcast. We, we appreciate if you guys uh, like this content, like and subscribe, and, and hear more good stories with good people. Again, I, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time uh, to, to share with us uh, today. And again, thank you to our guest, Josh. All right, man. Thank you for jumping to see that. Of course, Renee and, 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 and Angel back there. So, Pomona. This is Andy Quinones. Uh, same piece. Bye. All right.